Good evening. Man, it's like really cool worshiping in a room instead of your living room. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been here since March. Feels like a new church. Forever family, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I'm in recovery from codependency and depression, currently working on my struggles with food and work addictions. My name's Kevin. Look at all of you guys, man. Special shout out to the West Campus peeps. I miss you guys. I've shared my testimony here before and at a few other CRs, but things have changed. And I guess that's really the point, is that uh, Adam said just before, if you're not progressing in your recovery, you're falling behind. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I've shortened the details in the interest of time, because we'd be here for a while. I do have enough material for a novel. It's got some crazy chapters, but I'll tell you the ending's going to be out of this world. Did you guys get that? Yeah. Probably. Good. Here's a few factoids. And uh, my mom and dad are watching, so like I got to PG it a little bit. But anyway, I quit high school once. I'm a house designer. I've designed and built my own house. I'm handy with tools. I do some commercial leasing. I love tent camping, not that other stuff, tent camping. I won an arm wrestling competition once. I've never done drugs. I've got no substance additions unless, uh, substance addictions unless coffee ice cream counts. I love to mountain bike. I'm a pretty decent cook. I don't have any biological children. And oh yeah, I've been married and divorced three times. Yeah, 0 for 3. That's not a great batting average. Born 55 years ago in West St. John, I grew up in a normal home, normal parents, and a normal sister, which they all paid me to say that. My home life was really supportive. It really was. Stable, loving. I grew up in the country. I learned to drive at 14. I fixed up old cars. I drove around the back roads, and I discovered girls and sex at an early age. I even smoked for a year at 15, but cigarettes went to a dollar a pack, so I had to quit. That was a lot of money. I also quit high school during my first year and took a job with the promise to my parents that I'd return to school, that the one that I wanted to go to next September. So I went back, I did really well, and then after graduating, I started a two-year plan at uh, program at NBCC. Um, I also started with Irving in my first semester. Irving, they said part-time, that was 32 hours a week. If you know the Irving family at all, that's kind of normal. Um, I stayed on with them after graduating. I turned a fair bit of hard work into a 26-year career with the Irving families. I never created a resume. That was pretty cool. Um, I left the Irving Empires for a seven-year stint at another family company uh, before landing the dream job that I have today at Habitat for Humanity. It'll be three years this month. A wise man once told me my greatest strength was also my greatest weakness. I have a natural ability as a fixer to figure out a problem or challenge and solve it. It's definitely one of my strengths. But when it came to my relationships, <laughs> it was definitely a weakness. Remember, I'm 0 for 3 on the marriage front, 0 for I don't know how many other relationships. If you were my coach, you'd probably have benched me a long time ago. Early in my Irving career, I got married for the first time in 1989. Super nice girl, lots of fun. We partied, we had fun being around each other. I was the stable one. She was the free spirit. I grounded her and tamed her, according to her friends. We got married, separated on our first anniversary, back together six months later, divorced three and a half years later. We knew that we weren't in love at the end, but on different paths with different agendas and different priorities. We weren't bitter to each other. In fact, we're still on friendly terms. She brags that she's my favorite ex-wife. I'm pretty sure that might be an oxymoron. Um, but in all honesty, I was hurt and I was embarrassed by the failure of my marriage. My parents were really supportive, but I had, I had let them, I felt I let them down. 
On to number two. Shortly after my divorce, I met number two. We were set up by mutual friends. Moved in together pretty quick. Never a good idea. We're married the next year. After a year or so, we built a house, and her mother moved in with us. Not usually a great recipe, having your mother-in-law living with you, but she loved me very much, and we were, we were really quite close. We traveled a lot. We partied a lot. We bought a lot. That's always good. We were always buying something, cars, trips, jewelry. But I think God was starting to work on me at that point. The materialistic nature of our relationship was kind of tearing us apart. I was also having a few cardiac episodes during that period of my life that entailed me having my heart restarted at the emergency room over 10 different times. There's a wake-up call. Was God trying to get my attention? I was pretty stubborn and, quite frankly, really self-absorbed during that point in my life. But it became apparent that keeping up with the Joneses was becoming too much to take. It got to be really too much for me, and I, uh, I proceeded with the divorce. Needless to say, expensive. Another failure, more embarrassment. My career was progressing, but my personal life was a gong show. My friends were married, having kids, and here I was back to square one again. Then there was number three. Surely this is the one. Pretty and smart and equal to my wit and charm, and we had lots of common interests. She couldn't have any more children, but she had a young son, and boom, I was an instant stepdad. We bonded quickly, we became instant buddies, and I soon became a stable and positive influence in his life. We traveled a lot, we did a lot of things together, we built a house, and like me, she had had a lot of partners previously. She had two previous marriages, so maybe the third time was the charm for both of us. No. After some good years, we both did things that have no place in a marriage. It was easy to blame her, but later on, as I went through the step studies at Celebrate Recovery, I realized that I needed to take full responsibility for my part in the failure of the marriage. This divorce wasn't cheap either. Here we go again. In my 40s and starting over, if the first two divorces didn't make you feel like a complete failure, the third one was kind of a punch in the gut. Losing contact with my stepson was the icing on the cake. I sank into a depression, feeling emotional pain like I'd never experienced before. Felt like a failure. So what did I do? I went on a dating site. Talk about an ego boost and a codependent smorgasbord. Lots of dates, a couple of ill-fated relationships, lots of bad decisions. I kind of felt like I was going crazy. Couldn't figure out what was going on. I continued to be depressed, and it had a big impact on my life at the time. I told, everything, I told everyone that everything was fine, of course, but anything was, was anything but fine. Thankfully, I worked on autopilot. I did my job. I did it well. No one really knew the amount of pain that I was in um, or what I was really going through because I was the strong, silent type. You know, didn't think I needed to talk to anybody. I can handle it. That's denial. Lesson one. I think Adam's taught that one a few times. What the heck was going on? I was successful at work. I had a great job, great parents, solid upbringing. Just couldn't figure out this relationship thing. My parents are great role models. My sister and her husband have been married for years. What was it? What was missing? It seems so simple. As Pastor Brent would say, pro tip, the answer is Jesus. Looking back, my relationship with God was non-existent during these periods of my life. I ran away from the Catholic Church at age 14 since it seemed no matter what I did, I was going to hell. The priest seemed to always be yelling at me, and actually just, just me, um, speaking in, I think, Latin, something, I don't know. God and the whole church thing just seemed weird and unreal. I didn't and couldn't at the time distinguish between God and religion. Later, I would realize that I was running away from God at the same time I was running away from the church. Thankfully, he never gave up on me. 
Psalm 94.14 states, For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his heritage. In late 2011, I rented an old friend who was at the same coffee shop with her small group that I was at, a place they had never typically met at. And just at the same time that I was there. Coincidence, right? Hmm, that's what I thought. So she told me about her small group. That's a small group. The church she went to, and that it was different from probably anything I had been exposed to. She couldn't have been more right. A few months later, I found myself sitting at the back right-hand corner of this sanctuary here at the Valley on a cold Sunday morning in January 2012. Now remember, my recollection of church was that ancient old man at an ancient wooden pulpit looking like he was 100 years old, dressed in velvet robes, speaking words I didn't understand, with an organ playing in the background. Here was a worship group with electric guitars, drums, singing songs I could understand the words to. A pastor in his 20s or 30s wearing a plaid shirt and skinny jeans. And he was speaking English. I wasn't quite sure about the folks that were waving their hands in the air, but they sure looked like they were in love with Jesus. At that service, a video was played of a young man by a young man named Jefferson Bethke who performed a rhyme, or I think they called it spoken word, laying out the differences between God and religion. This video changed my life. I sat there speechless, and I'll tell you, that doesn't happen that often, thinking that this video had been played for me just on that day. Another Jesus moment? I think so. That first week in the King's Church turned into many more. God put many wonderful people in my life as I started to seek him. My parents, of course, Randy Murphy, who gave me my first Bible. Shout out to my peeps in St. John's, Newfoundland, by the way. Carol Butland. I love you, Carol. Ken Prosser, Greg Hansen, the small group I joined, and many others. Luke 5 talks about people carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to get him to Jesus by lowering him through the roof because the house was so crowded that Jesus was teaching him. The love that these people and others had for me and that they cared so much about my salvation was working on my heart. After answering an altar call in 2013, I became a Christian and gave my life to Jesus. The next day I woke up and I said, okay, Lord, now what? What did I know about being a Christian? I didn't have all the stuff fixed in my life, and I was certainly was still hurting, but I felt different. I wanted more of this God that I had decided to follow. What did that mean? Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church, where CR was created, said, to be a Christian means giving as much of myself as I understand to as much of God as I understand at that moment in my life. Once I realized that giving my life to Jesus was just the beginning of the journey and not the end, I kind of started to catch on. I was on fire. Reading the Bible, I went to Alpha, started getting involved with parking, usher duties, and other activities. Baptized in 2014, publicly and faithfully declaring my salvation. I was growing in my faith, though, and I still felt like something was missing. There was just something. I had this stuff in my life, didn't know what to do with it. There was an email in January 2015 that church sent out talking about a new program, something about a step study or something, group for guys. I thought this might be interesting. I reached out and almost immediately, and I mean like immediately, like 13 minutes, this guy Adam called me. We met that night because we couldn't wait. Right, Adam? Can't wait? Do it now? And he told me a bit about a story. Well, as you can imagine, I was probably a little bit skeptical of this guy. But something told me it would be okay, so we went for it. That guy's my pastor. Isn't that awesome? 
It's amazing. Amen. Joining that group was a good call. It changed my life. We started that group right away. We finished Life's Healing Choices, which I think is going on right now. And then we did the step study books. And a small group of us graduates started Celebrate Recovery here September 2015. I started my job at Habitat in mid-July 2017. My first day, I sat in my office, and I was thinking how crazy the journey had been to get to this point. I had prayed over this opportunity, something I'd never done before. So is this really what God had for me? Didn't wait long. That's what I like about God. He doesn't make me wait too long because I know I'm not that smart. My first piece of mail I opened that morning was this New Testament Bible from Jimmy Carter. He's a big uh, supporter of uh, Habitat. And it's called the Recovery Version. So if I didn't get it the first time, I got it now. One of the most important things I've learned through my spiritual walk is that successful, meaningful, and long-lasting relationships are impossible without God being at the center. Giving my life to God and having faith in Him to do the things I could never do on my own has been an amazing comfort and has brought me a lot of freedom and peace. As I learned more about myself through CR, I made an interesting observation when I was writing my testimony for the first time. My life before becoming a Christian seems like another person's life, if that makes any sense. I'm not the person I was before I was saved. I'm a new man. I don't act the same. I don't think the same. And I don't feel the same because I'm not the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. I also discovered that my recovery is like an onion. As you peel back the layers, God will help reveal more things that you didn't know or didn't want to admit that were there before. Gaining freedom from my codependency revealed my depression, and I was able to deal with that through uh, one or two step studies. Coming to CR and working through the lessons are great, but going through a step study with a group of guys really focuses the process to turn these new things over to God and to gain healing and freedom. Principle two states, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Let me tell you a little bit about lately. Um, my food and my work addictions are the next layers that I've been working on, and after some reflection during COVID, I think I'm going to add inconsistency to the list as well. I started back to the gym last October, and I regained my love for working out and getting stronger and more healthy. I was eating right, losing weight, feeling better about myself. The side benefit, as you guess from being older, is I know myself pretty well. If I don't work out first thing, it won't happen during the rest of the day. And I also have to go to a gym, because I've owned lots of equipment, and uh, it turns into be the proverbial clothing hanger. <laughs> anyway, I get up first thing. Um, I get up at 5, I work out. I like that because no one bothers me. And I'm really not awake. So I get home from the gym, I shower, I have breakfast, and I get my Bible reading done. My Bible reading is another one of those, do it first thing, or it just doesn't get done things. These habits are a way of getting the day off to on the right. Sorry, getting the day off on the right foot. So everything's going really well. I lost 40 pounds, feeling great, eating right, reading my Bible. Work's going great. West Campus is doing awesome because that's a great place. CR is my weekly staple, and then, that's right, punch to the face. COVID-19. No gym, no church, no CR. We're laying off people at work, and I can't see my friends or my family. <clears throat> are you kidding me? So for about a week in mid-March, my brain took a vacation, literally. I sat around, did nothing, ate a bunch of crap, didn't read my Bible, slept in, 
I disappeared from the world, as did a lot of us. But a weird thing happened. I think Jesus pushed me out of bed one morning. I woke up and said, okay, let's get this out. Let's get this figured out. This isn't a blip. It looks like it's going to be around for a while. So I went to work by myself. I started to talk to some of my Habitat counterparts across the country. Some of us opened online versions of our ReStore. We brought back staff slowly, carefully. We figured it out as we went along. Feel the theme of this? We didn't have all the answers, but we did it one day at a time. It gave us purpose, kept the lights on, kept people employed. The funny thing is I never worried about my job, and I never worried about the jobs of my staff. Not once. Not even for a second. I had faith that God had brought us this far. He's not going to check out on us now. God wasn't going to give us all the answers, but I do believe he was asking us to slow down and spend some more time with them, which is what I've been doing. Started reading my Bible again. The church started a Bible reading plan, and that was the catalyst to get back into my reading. Thanks, Pastor Brent and Adam, the rest of the team. You guys adapted with reading plans, daily prayers, so much more. Like, we are blessed. Our church leadership didn't have all the answers either, but they had the same faith that God would and is bringing us through the crisis. But still no gym. That's not good. I ate a little too well, and without the daily routine of the gym, I gained back some of the weight. But I cut myself some slack. I didn't dwell on it. I could lose that weight because I've done it before, and I would get back at it when the gyms reopened. I'm back at it, and uh, I love the gym. I'm going to take Adam with me tomorrow. <laughs> During COVID, I really learned to be practical about myself. I took stock of the things in my life, and I decided what would stay and what would go. I went back to the basics, Bible reading, eating, getting things done around my place I'd been putting off. What I really learned about myself at CR really paid off for me. Relapse into my poor nutrition and not working out didn't set me back like it would have in the past. I realized that I could forgive myself and just get back at it. After all, I'm just competing with myself, right? There'll always be someone smarter, younger, better looking, whatever. But there's only one me. And God made me for a purpose. So I only need to compete with myself to make myself a better version of me. During COVID, I also spent a bit of time with, uh, quite a bit of time with my accountability guys. I FaceTime my dad almost every morning, and we still do. And I look forward to sharing with my guys in our A to Z Zoom group every week. These connections are important. If you don't have those connections, start making them. Tonight, don't wait. Someone may have recovery in the areas you're struggling with, and they may be looking to make a connection as well. And I think you'll be surprised to learn that a number of guys reach out to me with their challenges, including relationship stuff. Crazy, right? What would I know about relationships? Remember my batting average? I sure know what not to do. But also remember I've learned how important it is to have God as your number one priority, above all else. And your partner should feel the same way. Once that's in place, nothing can stop you. I know that when things aren't going well in the relationship, it's almost, because God, it's almost always because God isn't the center of your lives. Your pride, complacency, or other things have crept in, and they're taking a foothold. In all of the conversations I've had so far, I've never advocated a marriage breaking up, which may sound strange from a guy with three divorces. But I know painfully so that this isn't usually the right answer. My first response is to get your relationship with God back on track and then figure out what you need to change in yourself. Don't expect your partner to change because you think that's the problem. 
you can't change them no more than they will change because uh, that no more than you will change because they said you should. Become the person that God wants you to be and allow him to help heal your relationship. You also need an accountability partner or sponsor. I wouldn't be as far along in my recovery without the support of my accountability team. A few of those guys are in this room, and some of them are online, and I love every one of them. Thank you, guys. I can be open, honest, and accountable without fear of judgment, condemnation, or betrayal. Principle four states, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. If you've been coming to CR for a while, please consider joining the next step study. Working the lessons in a step study can really excel, accelerate your recovery. So here's some things I've learned during my walk with God. If God puts something on your heart, don't wait. Do it now. Don't think about it because you'll talk yourself out of it. Time is your friend. Don't buy into the I'm not getting any younger crap. Time is running out. It's all BS. That's the enemy playing on your mind. Allow God to work in and on you. His plans take time. And you don't want to rush him because he won't be rushed. God doesn't want you to be perfect. You weren't created to be. And remember that others aren't perfect either. We all mess up at times. And that's okay. Be careful what you spend your time on. A lot of the videos you see on Facebook and TikTok are fabricated and rehearsed. If you actually saw these in real life, you'd probably laugh out loud. I saw a video on TikTok that the creator said took eight hours and 243 takes to get right. It's 15 seconds long. A whole day wasted for 15 seconds of glory and a few likes from people you'll never know. Spend your valuable time learning valuable things. Listen to podcasts. Watch the services here at the church. Pastor Brent has an amazing group of communicators. We're blessed. Take notes. Listen to other Bible-based leaders. Andy Stanley and Rick Warren are two of my favorites. You don't need someone or something to make you happy. And I'm talking true happiness, not Chicken McNuggets happy. Real happiness is not found in other people or things. You won't find it there. It's found in Jesus. You are responsible for your happiness. Listen up, codependence. There's a difference. Find someone to share your happiness with. I love this advice by Andy Stanley. He said, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Establish the deal breakers for your life. What are the things you won't allow? Spiritually, practically, relationally. What are the things that are a go or no-go for you? I won't date a non-Christian. I won't date a smoker. I won't tolerate fill in the blank. Don't deviate from those, ever. Stop being fearful. Be faithful. Read the Bible, believe it, and trust it. Pastor Brent just talked about this on Sunday. I know a lot of people that can quote chapter and verse in the Bible, but sometimes I wonder if they really believe it. Trust that God is smarter than you. His plan is better every time. Cut yourself some slack. It's okay. Forgive yourself. Take ownership. Learn, adapt, adjust, and move on. Cut others some slack too. You don't know what's going on in their life. Get an accountability partner, or five. Be one. A thought on being an accountability partner. If someone asks you for your opinion, realize that your perspective or experience might not be the right answer. I don't advocate for divorce, even though I've been through it. 
Start with the Bible. The answers are in there. Remember the guidelines. We're not here to fix you. It's God's job. Let him do his work. Point them to God. Some of the best advice I've ever given starts with, pick up your Bible. Realize there's an enemy. Remember that Satan operates in four ways. Deception, division, diversion, and discouragement. Here's a good one. Don't communicate important thoughts by text or messenger. I don't care how well you know them or, how, or think you know them. You'll never know what they're really feeling by reading it on that stupid little screen. Call or FaceTime. Have an actual conversation. Better yet, do it face-to-face. More, make time to talk to the people that are important in your life. Get to know the key people in your life really well. Ask them stuff. Tell them stuff. I've known my friend Ron for a few years. And only recently, I don't know if you got that slide or not, learned we have a love for coffee ice cream. Now it's a running joke in our conversations. Not long ago, I shared with my dad that I've been giving money to a particular homeless guy on the west side for a couple of years. Dad told me he's been doing the same thing for the same guy for over 10 years. Here's a quirky Jesus side note, by the way. I don't carry cash, hardly ever, but every time I see this homeless person, I have cash. And I mean every time, like a hundred times. And I'm seriously, a hundred times easy. He and I have had lots of chats and prayers over the last couple of years. I just ran into him the other day, and of course I had money. We chatted, we prayed together. (laughs) He called me his spiritual father. (sighs) Even though we're pretty much the same age. Mm. Love that guy. After we talked, I thank God for allowing me to be in a place to help somebody. Do good for those that are less fortunate than you. It'll be good for you too. Take a day off every week. Oh, here it comes. Observe the Sabbath. Doesn't have to be a Sunday, by the way. If you're too busy to take a day off, then you're too busy. You're not that important that the world won't survive if you take a day off. Rest, refuel, and refresh. A few highlights. I continue to learn, and I fail. I try again, and I fail. And I succeed, and I learn some more. But I love the journey. I love the process. I've learned to... Enjoy that process a lot. All right, time to land the plane, as Brent would say. What encouragement are, if this is your first night, sure glad you're here. This program works. God can bring healing into your life. The process is pretty simple. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Work the steps of the program. Get an accountability partner. Write and give your testimony. Encourage others to get what you have. A place for all eternity with your Lord and Savior. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, kind of. The hard part's doing the work, following the steps, giving it to God, leaving it with him, and allowing him to work in and on you. Some days you won't want to come to celebrate recovery or church. Some days you'll slip back into your old ways. But if you keep at it, you trust and believe that God can heal you. He can free you from your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He has and continues to work in and through me. Thanks for letting me share.